you have your uh, have your parents or anybody that really loved you said, like maybe whispered in your ear, that's enough. Now, I'm not going to imagine what you might have been doing, but I know that my mother would often say, that's enough. And usually it had to do with me pontificating about everything that I knew as a punk kid and was telling her how life should be. And uh, even a time or two, my father at the supper table, breakfast table or dinner table would have a fork. And he would just barely touch me with that fork on my hand at the table when I was saying everything that I thought everybody needed to say. And he'd say, that's enough. So if you've ever been in that position where you either received, that's enough, or you've given, that's enough. This is for you today. This is talking about interceding. Now, I've had a series now. This is the second week on handling conflict. Has anybody here had any conflict? Probably, yes. Maybe even today on the way here. (laughs) And so we need to know how to deal with conflict. And what we want to do with conflict is not escalate it, but de-escalate it. And this is based on uh, what a think group called the Police Executive Research Forum, put out, they put out 30 guiding principles about police officers de-escalating. You don't have to look too far on the news the last few years to realize that sometimes things got out of control. You don't even have to think back really, really far like Rodney King. As a young man watching Rodney King with the nightclubs, and everything that was going on, and all those guys that were around, all those police officers that were around, I, I just was wanting to say to them, somebody, stop it. Tell them that's enough. And nobody did. And so last week we talked about a tactical pause. It's a thing used in policing where instead of drawing a line in the sand, and if you cross this line, This is what's going to happen. It is a tactical pause to just take a deep breath, step back, relax. And that applies to our life when we're dealing with conflict. And this week, it's going to be the duty to intervene. It's guiding principle number six. And here's what the principle says that is applicable and that was given to police officers and many police departments adopted these 30 guiding principles. Today it's guiding principle six, the duty to intervene. And here's what it says. Officers need to prevent other officers from using excessive force. I think everybody could agree to that. And there's a place, there's a line somewhere that everybody knows where that line is when the line gets crossed. And you can see it on body cam and dash cam. You can see it on the news. And you think, how did you get there? Oftentimes, you get there because your mother or father didn't say, that's enough. 
or your daddy didn't get your fork on your hand, not jab it. Don't call DCF on my father. But it's where he would just lightly place it on my hand and say, that's enough. I understood what he might do if I didn't stop. So there's many examples of this. And so this intervening is something that we all do. I mean, think about intervening, interceding. They come from the same root word. And, and to intervene means this, to interfere with the outcome or course, especially of a condition or process, as to prevent harm or improve functioning. It's also to come in between by way of hindrance or modification. That fork was a modification to me because I knew what would come if I didn't stop. And so intervention or the duty to intervene is to keep you out of trouble. I mean, when somebody has whispered those words to you, that's enough. You may be caught up in the moment, in the adrenaline of things, of what's going on with the conflict. And what happens is you go overboard, you cross the line, you step too far, you're too aggressive, you say the wrong things, and once those words are out, it's like, it's like the man on the edge of a cliff with the wind to his back, and he's got this huge white bag of white feathers, and he unfurls them and just lets the thousands of feathers go out. And in that bag is one black feather. And he would like to get it back. But it's out. It's too late. It's gone. Have you ever been in a position where you wish you could get back something you had said or done? Yes. You wish you could get back a thought that you had or an action that you did that cut somebody to the very core? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We all have. The duty to intervene is for safety. It's to save you from yourself. Because in our own means, we can cross the line very quickly and very easily. And as we grow closer to Christ, as we grow closer to Christ's teaching, and as we take Christ in, that line can be so thin. Now, God's grace is unmeasurable. It's unending. But we can get across there. And what happens is the Holy Spirit will say, Hey, that's enough. You, you've gone far enough. And it's not to chastise or correct. It's to save you. So, you see, the duty to intervene is a duty. It's not a suggestion. In police canons, the policy says you must intervene. It's a duty. The same as you have a duty to protect and serve, you've got a duty to intervene when excessive force is going on. And we as Christians, when you apply this to our life, when you stick it on us, we have a duty, not a suggestion. See, the main point is, is that we need to start thinking about it, not in just police terms, but move to our Christian life. So where is the best place to start to intervene? And I'll tell you, 
The best place that you can start intervention is in your own life first. You know, you've heard the thing that says, if you've ever been on a plane, in case of an, the unlikely case of an emergency, I like that word, unlikely, the unlikely case of an emergency, if the oxygen in the plane goes away, this tube is going to drop down and you have a mask. You should put your mask on first before you help anyone else. Look, our duty to intervene is with us first. We've got to take an introspective look at us. Today we're going to have communion. And part of communion, Jesus talks about it. He says, examine yourself before you do this. We've got to examine ourselves. Our duty to intervene, first and foremost, is with us and God. This Holy Spirit talking to us, saying, that's enough. Or maybe that's not enough. Be bolder. Step out. I've put this person in front of you. For, uh, 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize Christ Jesus is in you? And further in Proverbs, it says, and this is why it's a duty to intervene with ourself. Because we can get off track so quick. I don't know about you, but I can. And it's easy to do. And Proverbs 16, 25 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way of death. So you've seen police encounters are too much. Some of the riots you've seen, it's just a frenzy. If you've never been in a large crowd that's lost control, it's frightening. It really, really is. And we can get all spun up and go overboard. And what happens to us is common. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 7, 15. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. It's on the phone, it's on the email, it's on the text, it's when we say something, it's when we speak something, it's when we lose control. We've got a duty to intervene with us. And we've got a duty to intervene in the body of Christ, in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces. We've got a duty to do that. Because you see, it's not just us. We're not just alone on an island. Although many of us would like to think it's all about me. And it's just me. But it's not. Listen to this. What Romans says. It's about us. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You belong to me, and I belong to you. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We belong to each other. What we do affects each other. What we do as a, a couple, what we do as a church family, 
what we do in our workplace, what we do when we're all by ourselves, it affects others. And, and we have a duty to intervene first with us and then with our brothers and sisters in love and in Christ because we do not belong to ourselves. We were bought with a price. We were bought with a price. So we fit into the larger body, the body of Christ. First us, then the rest of us. Proverbs 24 says this, 11. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. There's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it's death. We can walk down death's road, and if someone doesn't intervene, intercede, stop, they'll go. We have a duty. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those. You see, you've got to hold them back. You've seen people that are doing the wrong things. The duty to intervene means sometimes we've got to take control, we've got to take charge, and we've got to grab somebody. When you see them doing the wrong thing, I want you to think of 12 steps. Just for a moment. One of them is, you've got to help. Grab a hold. Don't let them do it. Answer the phone when they call you. Rescue those. And listen to what 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 7 says about those that have been caught and grabbed. If anyone has caused grief, he's not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely. The punishment afflicted on him by the majority, us when we correct, us when we grab. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. When you stop somebody, they're going to fight you. They're going to tell you you're wrong. They're going to say you don't know what you're talking about. You've got, you got to grab them from death as they stagger towards it. It says this, brothers and sisters in Galatians, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. You see, the bottom line to this is, if we don't intervene, let me tell you who will. Satan. If we don't intervene... Satan will. And so you'd like to say, well, that's good about the police executive research form and these 30 guiding principles that go to police officers that many progressive, good police departments have adopted. Whether they're doing them or not, they're like us. They're working out their salvation in fear and trembling. But what about us? How does this apply to us? And you might just say, are there examples of intervention in the Bible? Because that's what we want to know. Is it going to apply to our... Can I look up in the Bible, Pastor Louie, and find where there's interventions? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus, he intervened. Remember the woman caught in adultery in John 8? Now, she was caught in adultery. And not the man. They left him. They brought her out. And stuck her in the middle of the Pharisees. They brought her to Jesus. And what did he do? I'll tell you what he did. He intervened because 
They said, what's the law of Moses says? You should stone them. Jesus probably said, well, what about the God? But he didn't. What, what he did is say, that's what the law of Moses says. And, and he leans down and he writes in the dust. He takes a tactical pause. He slows things down. Time is on our side. Paul also says this in Leviticus. He who brought it up should cast the first stone. And they all left. And Jesus just mentioned to her, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Jesus intervened. How about Jairus' daughter when she had died in Matthew 8? I mean, Jesus intervened. Jairus came to Jesus and said, my daughter is sick. He was a ruler. He was on the council. And he's going. Jesus is going to Jairus' house. He gets disrupted for a minute there. And then word comes and says, no need to come. Your daughter's dead. You've got to grab those who are staggering toward death. Jesus went anyway. See, because that word is not the last word. The word of Jesus is the last word. And he went in with just a few, told the young girl to get up. You see, he intervened. He'll intervene for you. How about the centurion servant when he was sick? The centurion went to Jesus and said, look, I'm a man of authority and I'm a man under authority. So my servant is sick. If you just speak the word, and Jesus said, I've never seen anybody with so much faith. Your servant's healed. Jesus intervened. You see, if we're sick or dead or dying, if we're caught in our sin where we're stuck in front of people and embarrassed, Jesus intervenes. But that's not all. Let me just tell you a couple more. The man blind from birth. He was blind from birth, and Jesus healed him, of course, on the Sabbath, and they didn't, the Pharisees didn't like that. So they said, well, who sinned? Him, because he was blind from birth, or his parents, because that was a prevailing thought. If you're blind from birth, certainly somebody's done something wrong. And Jesus says, neither of them. So God can be glorified? You can see. He intervened. Yeah. How about the crippled man? He, he was brought, Jesus was teaching in a house, and he was brought there, and there was too many people to get in the door. And they've got him on this cot. The, the synoptic gospels say it a couple of different ways, but they brought him on this cot, so they're holding him, and he's, he's crippled. He can't get in the door. So the ingenious friends don't give up. They know a man is staggering to death. He's lost all hope. He's been crippled all his life. What's he going to do? They go up on the roof, take the tiles off, lower him through the roof, let him down. You could just imagine right now somebody just dropping right in front of us right here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And first he said, oh, anybody can say that. He says, okay, I got you. Anybody can say that. It's easier to say that than it is take up your mat and walk. That cat jumps up, grabs his mat. He's gone. He splits the door. Jesus will split the door for you. Okay. Ah, how about this last one? Jesus' good buddy, Lazarus. Man, he got sick. Things weren't going good. They sent word to Jesus, Lazarus, your friend is sick. You better get here quick. 
And Jesus took his time. And he got there. Three days after Lazarus had died. It's in John 11. And there's a stone and there's everybody. And he says, no, Lazarus is just sleeping. He, he's going to come back. No, I know he will in the, in the future, they're saying to him. He says, no. He stands there and says, roll back the stone. Just roll it back. They said, well, don't you realize it's going to stink? Don't you know sin and death stink? Here's what Jesus does. He rolls back that stone. He sprays a little Lysol in there. No. No. You see, he speaks into there. The same word that created planets and stars. It's, he said, Lazarus, my friend, rise up. He'll do that for us. Yeah. Didn't have enough wine at the wedding. Everybody likes wine. Didn't have enough. His mama's worried about it. He brings up some cisterns, about 90 gallons of water. He turns it into wine. You see, he intervened. And it was so good, they even said to him, well, wait a second. Normally, the host saves the best wine for last after, or first. Everybody get liquored up. But you got it right now. And 90 gallons. Peter's mother-in-law, they're walking to Peter's house and the mother-in-law's sick. She's got a fever. Jesus says, fever, come out. And she immediately starts serving him. Yeah. He stilled the storm. He was sleeping. The disciples in Matthew 8. He woke up and wondered what all the mess is. He stilled the storm. He healed a demon-possessed man in chains and garrisons. This guy was chained up, bloody and naked, and a wild man. And he went across the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. He went over to the east side. And there this guy was, and everybody knew he was crazy. They didn't want to get around him. He broke those chains, healed that man, and everybody knew him. He'll do the same. You walk in here with chains, you've been messed up, things have messed you up, just go to the right one. Yeah. Woman with the issue of blood, she interrupted when Jesus was going to Jairus' house. She just touched the hem of his garment. He intervened. He has a duty to intervene. We are like him. We are his creation. We are his. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. We have a duty to intervene. And the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda, he, he just couldn't get in quick enough. Everybody was troubling water every day. Jesus said, yeah, you don't need that. And when there were 5,000 people hungry, he, he took a small group of fish and a couple loaves of bread and he fed them. He'll feed you too. And so if Jesus intervened, did God. When Isaac was tied to the altar, they needed a sacrifice. You remember Abram takes him up on the mountain. We're going to worship me and my son. And Isaac says, well, where's the, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? Abraham says, come on up. Don't worry about it. Carry all that wood. And he puts him down, and just before he sacrifices his own son, his only son, Jesus provides a sacrifice. God provides a sacrifice. And God provided the sacrifice for us. Yes. Jesus.
the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah. He got water out of a rock in the desert, and he told Noah to build an ark before it ever rained. He intervened. And he sent Jonah to Nineveh, even though he didn't want to go. He sent the angel Gabriel to Mary and said, Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. For unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. So, have you had to intervene in somebody's life? We have a duty to intervene. Let's look at our own life first. If we have areas of intervention that we need to do, this week, this week, think about your own self. Think about that mask that comes down. And think of that mask coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. And in it is not air from an airplane cabin or a compressor. It's the Holy Spirit. Breathe it in this week. Get you some air and examine yourself. Dear Lord, I thank you, Father. I thank you that you have intervened in our life, Father, that you sent a spotless sacrifice so that we, as we stagger and stumble towards death, can be saved. If that's you here today, and if you're here listening, if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, He has intervened for us. He's taken our sin, our death, our shame, our guilt. He's worn it on Himself. And He's got it for you. If that's you here today and you want to give your life to Christ, you just sit right where you are and say, God, I want you in my life. Jesus, save me, please. It's that easy. And if you need to examine yourself a little closer, we're fixing to have communion. And we're going to start communion, and everybody here can have communion. Everybody can, is invited. We're going to pass out the elements. And when we get through with the elements... We're going to take them together. As Jesus was in the upper room, days before his death, moments, he was with his disciples, those that he loved, the body of Christ. And he had bread, and he had wine. And the disciples didn't really quite understand what was happening. A few hours after this meal in the upper room, one of them betrayed him. One of them denied him. The other scattered. None of that mattered. Jesus was sent for an assignment for us. And the cup and the bread represent the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. 
it, it represents the old covenant where we had to follow all the laws, every single law, all the time, or else we were guilty. And James says if you violate one law of the 613 pharisaical laws, if you violate one of them, you're guilty of all of them. I don't know about you. There's no way I could, I could follow all of them. Most of them. But the new covenant says that I came to give you life and life abundant. I, I came to seek and save those who are lost. And that's what Jesus did for us. And he does say in Corinthians that we should examine ourselves. Hallelujah. So, so that night as Jesus was there, he, he had the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that was spared for many, for us. Take, eat. And next he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. The covenant of blood. Because just a few hours from there, Jesus is crucified. His blood is spilt on the earth. Take, drink. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you today. Father, we've taken communion. We've examined ourselves. Father, we know what we need to do next is to trust you totally in all that we do every day of our life, every step we take. We thank you that you've made that available to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Hallelujah. Go intervene this week. This is Pastor Louie. I hope you've enjoyed the message today, and I hope that it has encouraged you. If you need any further information about the message or our ministries, please contact us at the numbers on the screen. Our live worship is 1030 each Sunday morning, and we can also be seen on YouTube and Facebook at thelivingcornerstone.org. Be blessed.